And Lord, as we sing, that we would sing your praises forevermore. We pray that you would continue to give us the strength to do that. Continue to lead us in these times of worship, in these times of praise and prayer. Lord, continue to lead us closer to you in a relationship with you. Thank you, Father, for this time that we've been able to have here in this church. And as we move now into the reading of Scripture, uh, pray, Lord, that you be with us. We pray that you would uh, speak to us, uh, show us your truth, show us yourself, Lord, in the Scripture we're about to read. And we pray this all in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, If you want to follow along today, we're going to be continuing in the book of James, James chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. So James 5, 1 through 11. And I'm going to take a moment and just step away from from the scripture here soon. We're we're going to get to that. And I just want to say, um, I have found, you know who's not afraid to ask if you have an injury? Everyone. And I know some of you are, are just getting back in here or haven't heard yet, so just want to say my hand is doing fine. Um, it's healing okay. I'm going to have another doctor's visit here soon. Uh, they call it a boxer break because boxers get this when they're in a fight where uh, one of their bones breaks in their hand. And, and I did something similar. Um, the cookie timer went off, and as I was headed up the stairs, I slipped and landed on my hand, and it broke. So it's, it's about the same as what boxers go through in a fight, I think. Um, I really feel their pain now. Uh, but all of you that have been asking and, and have been uh, wondering how it's going, it's going well. I appreciate your prayers for its healing. Uh, so things are going good there. Um, if we want to get to the scripture here today, that's James chapter 5. And we're going to be reading verses 1 through 11 today. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted, and their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields, and which has been withheld by you, cry out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Shabbath. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of our Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too, be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured and have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Um, One of my favorite times growing up Um, 
Well, I, I had a, probably like most of you, had a household where when I was younger, my mom stayed at home uh, with me and my sister, uh, and my dad was out working all day, and, and he was a roofer and a part-time pastor. So uh, I, I was with my mom all day, and of course the exciting part, my favorite part of the day, was the time when my dad would come home. And, and it was really exciting, and you know, we would play games like we would hide from them and make them find us, or uh, my dad's favorite game after a long day of roofing is when he would lay on the floor with a bad back, and then I would come running and jump on his back really hard. I know he had fun with that one. But it was really exciting when my dad was coming home. I was excited to see him because I knew we were going to have fun. Unless I was not good that day. Because what, what's that that your mom says? Wait until your father gets home, right? So if I wasn't good for the day, I wasn't too excited about my dad coming home. In fact, there, there's one story I have where, uh, where I saw my mom threw out a bag of chocolate. And I thought, that is perfectly good chocolate. No one should ever waste it like that. So I went to the trash can and just started to eat out of it because I thought it's still in the bag, right? And my mom came and she said, what are you doing? And with chocolate all over my face, I said, nothing. (laughs) She asked, were you getting into the chocolate that I just threw away? And I just, you know, straight out lied. No, I didn't do that at all. And then she told me, there's chocolate on your face. Oh, man, didn't think that one through. So that would have been a day where, wait until your father gets home, where, oh, no, I got to wait for my father to get home. I tend to receive him different when he's coming for discipline than when I've been good and he's coming to have fun with me. Uh, That's sort of the picture that I think James is painting here in these 11 verses because he references the Lord's return about four or five times, maybe even six times, depending how you read the passage. And the first half of the passage is a warning against the rich those who have withheld their wealth from others, and he references the coming of the Lord, but he's referencing it here in this first part as not a good thing. You know, uh, James is not saying, oh, it's going to be so exciting when Jesus comes back. He's actually warning the rich, hey, you better watch what you're doing because Jesus is coming back, and the way you're treating other people is not going to be very fun when he arrives. Now, we've got to talk about that a little bit because we live in a completely different time than what they lived in biblical times. When James is talking about the rich, he's not talking about what we have today. The reality is everybody in this room by world standards is rich. Everybody in this room by world standards is wealthy. We all have grown up in what I would consider the best country in the world. We have opportunities around us that abound. It is incredible if you need help. You've got to do some work, but you can find a place that will help you and get your life set straight. And, and there's a lot of us here that have spent our time building up our wealth and being very responsible. James isn't talking about this ultra-wealthy that the politicians tend to talk about today, which, by the way, you notice with politicians, it's always somebody else that's ultra-wealthy, right? James isn't talking about that. He's actually talking about a time when there was really just the haves and the haves-nots. 
He was talking about a time where you either had a lot of wealth and you owned a lot of property and you hunted over people's heads, or you grew up in poverty and you lived day to day not knowing what you would eat or how you would even make your money for the day. And so when James is calling out this group of the rich, he's calling out a group within the larger community, not within the church, These would be people outside of the church, but within the larger community, he is giving a prophetic utterance, just like you would find in the Old Testament, where he is warning those people, you have withheld what God has given you, and you've had an opportunity to be generous with other people. Instead, you've withheld it. And so he lays out three sins that they've committed against not only uh, the people in their community, but I think specifically the people within his church. And so he gives this prophetic utterance, and one of the things he, he warns against, or what he calls out as a sin, is their amassing of assets. Uh, James calls to attention that they have all of these garments, gold and silver, and then he also states, uh, let me take a look here, Sorry about this. Um, Riches, garments, gold and silver. One of the points that James is making here is that they have accumulated all of these assets and yet in those assets they haven't given them away. And, and one of the ways that he points to this is he warns, he says, you have enough garments, so many garments, that the moths are eating away the clothes that you have. You have plenty of clothes to live with, and you have so many extra, you haven't even touched them in the back of your closet, and now they're being eaten away while people are out here that have no clothes to wear. And then he also says, with your gold and silver, you've, you've piled up these riches, and now, he says, they're rusting away. Now they're, they're coming to the point where they're worthless. You, you can't even use it. You have so much of it off to the side that it's dwindling away and you haven't done anything good with it. And I believe in this passage, James is quoting Jesus and John the Baptist because one of the, the messages that Jesus gives on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6 is he says, do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy. Store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. And so Jesus teaches the life of generosity, not to hoard things to yourself, but if you have extra, to give it away. John the Baptist says the same thing in Luke chapter 3. When he's baptizing people at the river and he's telling the, the community to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, people ask, well, what can we do to repent? And John says, well, if you have two tunics, give one to somebody who has no tunics. And the point John is making is, if you have extra and you see somebody that doesn't have anything, you are obligated as a form of repentance, as a form of following Jesus, to give what you have extra to those that are in need. And so James is referring to these two teachings from Jesus and John, and he's saying, look what you've done. You've amassed all of these assets. You've amassed all of these clothes. You've amassed all of this gold and silver, and now it's rotting away. When I got married, um, one of the things I, uh, you've heard of irreconcilable differences. 
um, within marriages and, and actually really long marriages have a lot of irreconcilable differences. And, and one of the ones that I found very early in my marriage is my wife likes to watch really strange reality TV. Now, I don't mean like the, the trash, like The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. If you do watch that, we can talk about it after. But it, she doesn't watch that kind of reality TV. But instead, she watches the stuff like on TLC about like special surgeries that people have. Or uh, there's some of them that, that talk like uh, one of them is My Strange Addiction. And so it's about people that have a strange addiction and they go through the counseling process to get rid of it. Well, one of the shows that she loved and I just had to get used to it was a show called Hoarders. And if you've ever seen that show, what happens is, is they go out and they help people that have an issue with hoarding. It's a mental health disorder where it's just the need to bring stuff into their household and they have an issue with getting rid of those things. And so they, they do a good job. They bring an organizer in, they bring a counselor in, they bring in a medical team, and they help the person out and they help the person get used to the idea of not hoarding but giving things away and getting rid of stuff. Here's the problem when you watch that show. What happens when you pile things up and then pile things over it? It happens every time in the show. They'll walk into a room. It'll be full of something like newspapers. They'll take a good stack of newspapers away, and behind it is another stack of newspapers, but it's rotting away. And the point that they try to make to the person is, listen, this life of hoarding where you're keeping stuff all to yourself, it's just getting destroyed. You're not doing yourself any favors, and you're certainly not doing any favors to your neighbors or anybody around you. And so they would go to some places, and they would actually find that some people had hoarded these collection of, like, Cabbage Patch dolls or Hot Wheel cars. And, and they point out, they say, you know, you could sell those, and you could do something with the money. But instead, it's just sitting on the shelf, rotting away. You're not doing anything with it. Well, this is the warning that James is giving. He's telling the rich, you have all of, these, uh, all of these assets that you could be selling, you could be giving them away, you could be helping with the ministry of, of God. Instead, you're holding on to it, and now it's rusting away, it's rotting away. You need to do something with it. The second sin that, that James makes mention of is withholding wages. And he makes this point, he says, the wages that you've withheld and those that you've withheld it from are crying out. Uh, so what does that mean? Well, what James is pointing out to the people is he's saying, you are stealing money from the people that you should be paying to do your work. It was very common back then that you wouldn't hire somebody until you had the money to pay them. In fact, if you look back to Deuteronomy chapter 25, there's actually a law that says that when somebody comes to work for you, you must pay them at the end of the day. You are not allowed to withhold their wages. It will be a sin against you. So Deuteronomy 25, God lays out, before you hire anybody, you need to make sure that you can pay them. And what James has seen in this community is people are hiring out for laborers, but they don't have the money to pay them, or worse, they're withholding the money for themselves and not paying the laborers maybe for a few days. 
Maybe they're doing a business transaction with their money and they don't want to let it go just yet, so they tell the laborers, well, I can't pay you today, come back tomorrow. Now, in today's terms, what that would be like is breaking a contract. Don't get into a contract that you know you can't fulfill. And, and the point James is making here is somebody else is dependent on what you pay them. If you withhold that from them or if you break the contract that you establish with them, you are withholding their livelihood. That is theft. And James warns, he says, the laborers are crying out to God and God will listen and he will count it as a sin against you. Don't steal from those that you've hired. If you've promised to pay them something, pay them something. That's what James is telling the rich people. Is he's saying, don't, you know you have the money. We see the silver and gold rusted away in your house. Take some of that and pay your laborers. People could very well be dying because you haven't given them their day's wages. So this is the point that James is making. Do not hoard. Do not steal. And then lastly, he talks about living luxuriously or living lavishly. He talks about this lifestyle of you've lived in luxury and, and you've lived in wanton pleasure. And what he means by that is you've been living above what you need. Your standard of living is higher than what you actually need to live by. And he does a really interesting choice of words. A little bit later, he says that uh, you have filled your hearts in a day of slaughter. So what would usually happen is, is you would have animals in your compound or in your house, and, and you would raise those animals, and then there would get to a point where you had no more use for the animal, and so how you would celebrate that is you would slaughter the animal, and you would usually invite your friends and family, sometimes the whole community, to celebrate with you. And so you would slaughter the animal, you would set some of the meat aside, and you would be able to preserve just a little bit of it, but that requires work and time to dry out the meat. It requires salt. And so what families would opt to do is they would have a day of slaughter, and they would invite the family or the community together, and they would feast on the animal that they've slaughtered. And James is making reference to this saying, you have withheld that celebration with everyone else, and you have filled your hearts or you have filled maybe your stomachs with the celebration that you could have offered everybody else. This would be sort of like, uh, we're having a meal here after service, and I, I believe it's brats, right? We're having brats. I, and I like brats, I do. But imagine if the person that was cooking the brats had a nice porterhouse house steak to the side. And, and he was just, he was getting that nice and ready, and then you walked up and, oh, what's that over there? Oh, this is my 32-ounce uh, porterhouse. I thought I'd eat it today because the gorilla's out. And if he sat down in front of you and just ate that while you're eating a brat, he's eating a porterhouse. And then maybe he gets to like the last five bites and goes, oh boy, I'm just so full. And then he keeps eating it in front of you. James is saying this is what the rich are doing, but they're doing it on a scale where they're almost bragging to other people the amount of wealth that they have and again, not sharing it with the community when the community is in desperate need. And James warns, this is a form of greed. This is a form of gluttony. 
So we have three sins that James lays out. He lays out uh, the issue with hoarding. If God gives you something, uh, you're required to give that out. You've got to live a generous life is what he's telling uh, the people. And then he's also telling them, don't steal. If you enter a contract with somebody, honor the contract. Give them the money that they agree to work for. And then finally, he warns, don't be greedy, don't be gluttonous, don't take more than what you need, and whatever's left over, give to your neighbors. So this is the warning that he gives to the rich, and like I said earlier, he also lays out throughout this process, he gives these, these four indicators, Jesus is coming back. That's, that's really, when it comes down to it, the warning that he's giving in some cases, it's, you know, you're, it's rotting, you're, your riches are rotting away, your garments are rotting away, you're not making use of it, there's people in need. So he's giving kind of this argument, maybe from, from this social standpoint of we need to help the whole community. But at the same time, he's also giving a warning. Jesus is coming back, and when he sees that you've withheld all of this from your neighbors you're going to have to answer to him why you did that. And he, and he uses interesting choice of words. He mentions that, you know, these are the last days and you've stored up for yourself treasure on earth. And he talks about how the rust that's in the silver and the gold is going to consume their flesh like fire. So he's basically saying, if you're going to live by riches, you're going to die by riches. But here's the one that really gets me. This is the one that I sort of like, whoa, uh, this is tough language. When he mentions that day of slaughter, it has a dual meaning. He mentions it to them that you're feasting like it's a day of slaughter, but then it also has this double meaning where he says, one of these days, there will be a day of slaughter, and it's going to be you. It's a warning that he gives to those that he's writing to. Be careful how you live your life because God is coming back. God has given you everything you need to live your life. Don't hoard it. Give it away. So this is James's warning uh, to the rich. Well, then he moves towards his church, and, and he does the opposite. In fact, like the exact opposite. He speaks now to the Christian community, and what he says to them, first of all, is he says, don't complain. Whatever situation you're in, don't complain about it. And he even warns, if you complain about it, it's going to be held as a sin against you. Don't complain. Now, I, I want to dissect that just a little bit because I know that sometimes we need to talk about the reality of what we're going through and we need to vent with one another. So there is a difference between, between processing the truth and complaining about your situation. Processing the truth is to look at your situation and say, okay, this is what's going on, this is what's difficult, here's what I need for help. Or maybe to just grab a friend and, and talk with them and, and say, okay, we, we need to talk a little bit about, about what I'm going through. Can you help me out? I, this is bad, this is bad, this is bad. It's just a difficult season. That's processing the situation. Now, let me give you an example of what it means to be a complainer, and I'll give it from my own life. Uh, when I was at seminary, 
you'll hear Emily and I say, and, and I believe this is processing the truth, uh, seminary was the hardest time of our life. Nothing will ever be as hard as seminary, okay? We had a difficult time. And so there were times where I had other students that I would confide in and just mention that, well, you know, this season is difficult and I'm having a tough time and we're having a hard time making ends meet. But there was one day in particular, I was talking to one of my friends and him and I were similar because we both had kids and we were, were both working outside the home. And so at first it started out processing the situation, but then we started to complain. Then we started to say, you know, these other students, they don't know what we're going through because they don't have kids. They, they all had kids. But they, they don't know what we're going through. They don't have kids like us. And they're not working outside the home like us. And, you know, I've, I've got a little one who's still in diapers. They don't know what it's like to try to hold your baby and read a book at the same time. And he chimed in with the same kind of complaints. And I kid you not, at the same exact time, one of our fellow students was walking by. She had six kids at seminary. I only had one. I don't know if you're good at math, but she had far more kids than I had. And not only that, when they got to seminary, her baby was a newborn. She was feeding the baby in class while taking notes. And not only that, as she walked by, she was on crutches because she broke her ankle. So here she is with a newborn in seminary with a broken ankle. And as she hobbles by with the broken ankle, she sees us and says, Isn't seminary amazing? This is just, I'm learning so much. This is just the best opportunity of my life. I love it here. And then kept hobbling by. I have never felt more in my place than in that moment. Because we went from assessing the truth. We went from assessing the situation. Okay, seminary is difficult. Here's the reasons why. And we just went to full-on complaining where we felt sorry for ourselves. And James warns, we've got to be careful of doing that. We've got to be careful of looking at our situation as if though we're the only ones going through a difficult time. We've got to look at our situation and be sure to assess what's going on, but then immediately bring that to the Lord or bring it to a fellow Christian to pray with you about. And I also want to point out, it's okay to admit to fellow Christians, I have an issue even with complaining about the issue that I'm complaining about. Can you pray over me so that I won't complain anymore? We need to learn not to be complainers in whatever situation we're in because God watches over us. And then James gives a couple of examples of who to look up to in these situations. One of them is, he says, look at the prophets from the Old Testament. Live a life like them. If, if you look at the prophets, they went through difficult situations uh, I, I think of the prophet Elijah who prophesied against the king and then was chased down and, and they wanted to kill him. So as he was prophesying, he was literally running for his life. And, and James says, look to the prophets and see how they still proclaimed the truth of God and they still proclaimed the love of God even though their life would sometimes be at risk or, or things would be withheld from them. So James says, look to the prophets. And then he also says, look to Job, who endured. Now I find this interesting because if you've ever read the book of Job, you'll know that there's, there's three sections of the book that Job goes through. 
the first part of his life is you find out that he was the wealthiest person to ever live. I mean, they go through the amount of riches that man had. And not only that, Job was a righteous man. Job sacrificed all the time. Job gave to the Lord. Job prayed for his children. And then within a short amount of time, all of that was taken away from him. All of his riches were taken away. All of his animals were killed. Even his children were killed. And then he was struck with, with I believe, leprosy or boils of the skin. And so you have, after those first few chapters, you have like, I think it's like 30 chapters of Job trying to convince his friends that God is still just and that he doesn't know why he's suffering, but, but he knows that God is just. And then just at the end of that section, section two, we get into section three. And I find it interesting that James is referencing Job because Job does end up complaining. And he does end up saying to God, why am I going through this, God? Why would you do this for me? And then you have several chapters of God just laying it out on Job. And you have several chapters where God puts Job in his place and says, who are you to question my authority? Who are you to question what I've given you for what you need in your life? And I think what James is doing is he's referencing Job because Job did get to a point where he offered a complaint to the Lord and the Lord put him back in his place. And then James says, Here's what we get from that. The Lord is gracious and merciful and compassionate. James is pointing out, even in our times of complaints, when we do complain to the Lord, God is going to put us in our place. God is going to remind us where we're at with him. But he's also going to deal with us compassionately. He's also going to deal with us gently and with mercy and grace. God is going to listen to what we're going through and he's going to do something about it. And here's how we know why. Because Jesus is coming back. So whatever we're going through, I I don't know what it is. Sure, we we could sit here and say, well, I don't have it as bad as somebody else. But the reality is that that doesn't mean you're not having a difficult time. It just means somebody else is having a worse time than you. Whatever we're going through as a Christian community we can rest assured that we have a hope to look forward to, and that is when Jesus comes back. When he's going to come back, he's going to make all of the wrong things right. When he comes back, he will establish his kingdom, and we will be able to live exactly how we were meant to live. So we look forward to that day. So where do we go from here as a Christian community? Well, first of all, I think we can very easily take that first half of this passage as a warning to ourselves, as a warning for us that when we leave this place, let's assess where we're at in our life. Are are there any areas that, that we may be called to be more generous in? Is there anyone that we've developed a relationship with where we know they need help? And by the way, we it might not even be you know, money. It might be that you have something extra that you know they could use. Or we may look at somebody and say, wow, they just need my time. They just need my presence. I can go and be with them. So we can take that first half and say, where is God calling us to go? What is God calling us to do? Are we living a generous life 
towards others. The second half, of course, what we walk away with is two things. First of all, we don't need to complain. It's not just we shouldn't complain, but we don't need to complain. God has given us everything we need in every situation in our life. Whatever we've gone through, God has been there for us and he's brought us out of it. And if you're going through a situation right now where you're feeling the need to complain, know that God is going to bring you out of it. God is here for us. So we don't need to complain, but we can lift our voices up to God and let him know what we're going through. And the third point here that we walk away with is the Lord is compassionate. The Lord is merciful. He will be there for us. Jesus is coming to make all wrong things right. God is here with us today to help us. Let's pray. God, we thank you that that you are a loving God. We thank you that you're not only loving, but sovereign. You look out for us. You know all of the things that we've been through. You know what we're going to go through down the road. And you know what situation we're in now. So, Lord, we pray that we would learn to sing your praises. We pray, Lord, that we would learn to not complain, but that we would lift uh, our voices up to you in the situation that we're in, and we would ask for your guidance. So, Lord, I pray for anybody here uh, that may be going through that, that may be needing prayer, Lord, that may be going through a difficult time. Lord, teach us to live generously. Teach us to, to live in a way that... that we are giving more than we're receiving. So Lord, we we pray over all of this here today. Amen.